Golden State Warriors basketball. Back door to Curry, got hammered up and good! Curry came slicing into the right corner. This is Warriors Roundtable. He went reverse, took the contact, threw it up over his head, banked it home. With the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Throw good, long lead out for Bryant. Nobody was back. Bryant turns on Thompson. Hangs, shoots, and banked it home. And that's just a mental error there. Somebody had to be back to protect the basket. Tough night last night for the Warriors losing to the Hornets after a very difficult and emotional loss the night before against the Los Angeles Lakers. Hi, everybody. This is Tim Roy. It's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, Golden State, right in the middle of a very difficult stretch of games, and it continues with a Friday night tilt against the New Jersey Nets. Now, coming up on tonight's show, the newest Golden State Warrior, Andrew Bogut, sits down with Warriors television analyst Jim Barnett, and he'll give his thoughts on the trade, bringing Bogut from Milwaukee. He'll talk about his two freak injuries in recent years and about life in Australia and being of Croatian descent. It's all in tonight's interview, Jim Barnett with Andrew Bogut. We'll continue our series on how the Golden State Warriors are giving back to the Bay Area community. On Warriors Vox, we'll answer a couple of your questions from Twitter. And then, as the NBA heads toward what should be a very exciting postseason, a couple of races to look at. The race for the eighth spot in the East between New York and Milwaukee. And then in the West, it's very tight at the bottom edge of the playoff bracket. Seven, eight, and nine starting play tonight. All tied with records of 27 and 24. It's a look at the playoff race in the NBA on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy. When we continue, Andrew Bogut and Jim Barnett right here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Chest pass to Lee. Right corner, good big baseline. Over the head slam for David Lee. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Hi, Tim Roy. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. And a quick reminder to secure your rights to 2012-2013 season tickets and receive priority for the best remaining lower-level seat locations with just a $100 deposit. Guarantee your seats tonight by placing your deposit and have access to an exclusive selective seat day at Oracle Arena. To sign up, go to warriors.com or call one 888 hoop and press option number one. And if you do it tonight, you'll have a chance to see the newest Golden State Warrior next year and maybe the best center that the Warriors franchise has had, maybe going back to Joe Barry Carroll. I'm talking about Andrew Bogut, a John Wooden Award winner in 2004-2005 at the University of Utah, all-rookie first team in 05-06, and in 2009-2010, he was all-NBA third team. He's one of the best centers in the NBA, and he sat down with Warriors television analyst Jim Barnett. Welcome to the Bay Area. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. You know, not that you were anxious to leave Milwaukee, but everything I've read, this is my first chance of sitting down with you and getting to know you a little bit, but you were very anxious to come to the California and the West Coast. Yeah, I, I like this, this end of, uh, of the States uh, much better. I'm obviously born and raised in Australia, so it's a very similar atmosphere to, to where I grew up, uh, the climate, the people, um, a lot of happy people around here. It's really really been great these last couple of days. Well, it's a great place to live. I can uh, attest to that. And this new organization, what's your perception and what do you know about the new Warriors, if you will? From the, the moment I got here, it's been the uh, most 
professionalism I've seen in, in, in a franchise, I've been very, very impressed. Um, just the facility, the way things are done on a, on a daily basis, the trainers. Um, I understand there's been a big turnover the last year with, with new management of Hyder, uh, a lot more people and a lot of different people. And I can't, I can't complain at all. It's been phenomenal. And the owners, you know, didn't just stop with me. Um, Joe LeCobb, obviously, and Larry Riley made more moves um, so it just shows me that they're trying to do the right thing and get better as an organization. That's very exciting to see. This is your seventh year in the NBA, and obviously you're not playing right now with the uh, broken ankle. Did you know that a trade was imminent from the Milwaukee Bucks? Had this been brewing for a couple of years, or was it all this year? And what did they tell you? Well, we have, you know, as players, we have agents, and we pay them uh, a good amount of money for a reason. So I knew I was on the block a couple of times um, after my elbow injury, um, but nothing eventuated. And Basically, after I broke my ankle, I kind of knew the writing was on the wall that, that they're going to explore possibilities and um, got the call and, you know, it was surreal to me. We had Jerry West on our television the other night uh, in the, the recent game, and we asked him about you, of course. We were talking all about the trades, and he said that you could possibly play by the end of the season, so I want to hear it from you. Is there a possibility that you could come back and play after fracturing your ankle in late January? Well, there's always a possibility. Um, first and foremost, I had a scan in, in uh, two and a half more weeks, which will kind of determine where we're at. I'm wearing a moon boot at the moment, as you can see, and I think it's it's, it's pretty hard to, to make comment on that right now because right. the scan could go either way. If the scan shows up, the doctors say the bone's settled, um, can get me out of the boot and start conditioning, you know, anticipate a couple of weeks to a month, I should be back in full condition. But uh, obviously we know that the end of the season is getting closer and closer. What can you do right now? Are you riding a bicycle and things like that? Yeah, riding a bike. It's kind of awkward with the moon boot, um, but doing, doing a lot of strength and conditioning work, um, some weights. Um, hopefully we'll jump in the pool sometime this week as well and do some conditioning in there. So the good thing is about the injury, the positive is that I can do a little bit, um, but obviously running and that, you know, obviously takes a back seat. You know, going back a couple of years, uh, 09-010 season, uh, when you were third-team All-NBA, you're putting up numbers like 16 points a game, over 10 rebounds, uh, you know, nearly two and a half to three blocks per game. These are numbers like Dwight Howard. What can Warrior, ex- uh, Warrior fans expect from you next year? Well, I'll play both ends. You know, um, I'll play both ends of the floor. Um, some nights, as you know, with our roster, we've got good scorers. Some nights, you know, I'll, I'll score a lot of points. Some nights I won't, but, you know, I can guarantee I'll, I'll protect the paint defensively every game. I'll block shots and take charges, and I'll, I'll rebound the ball. So... Um, I think, yeah, I can, I can affect the, the game in, in many ways. Um, I think, you know, if I'm having a bad scoring game, I think I can still be out on the floor doing other things, and I think that's very important as a basketball player is not to be one-dimensional. When I look at your stats and see how you've come along, next year will be your eighth season. You'll be uh, 28 in November, I believe. Do you think you can get better? No doubt. No doubt. And I've obviously had some, some tough times with injuries that are out of my control, um, high-impact injuries of the elbow and the, and the ankle now. So first and foremost, we need to get as healthy as possible. But there's always room for improvement. I mean, at, at 35 years of age, I think there's room for improvement. Um, you can never never uh, be a 100% player. No one, no one's ever a perfect player. Um, the best player in the league, you know, LeBron James, Kobe, I mean, they still are out there working on different aspects of their game in the offseason, so there's no excuse for guys like myself not to. Jim Barnett sitting down with uh, Andrew Bogut, our newly acquired center. I know this is difficult because it's always a risk, but you did when you started in this league. You played 180, 158 consecutive games, no injuries, but 
lately you've had some injuries. You had you know, the back problem, your ankle, the wrist when you slam dunked against Phoenix. You think your injuries are behind you? Is that just you just had some bad luck? Well, I think the, the back one was, was probably you know, something that I could control as far as conditioning and getting my core stronger. So that's uh-huh. one that I'd probably say I probably should have been in better condition as far as getting my core strong. The last two I can't, I can't control. I mean, these are, these are the plays that I make on a basketball for every day. Um, the arm injury is a one-in-a-million thing. You know, fall from a basket and break my elbow and wrist in the same place, pretty tough. But obviously, um, changing teams, I like to put everything behind me and get a fresh start and go from there. And I think I can you know, do the same with injuries. It would be very, very nice. When you uh, look at this roster for the Golden State Warriors as it stands right now, and looks like they're not going to, obviously not going to make any moves until the summertime, but the core players that they have, who do you see? What kind of team do you see, and, and who do you see out there integrating and, and playing well with? Well, it's a young team, first and foremost, all, all in their you know, 20s. Um, David Lee, a premier power forward, just getting better and better every year, probably putting up all-star numbers, maybe if, um, if we had more wins, his point probably would have got more attention for the yeah. All-Star game. You know, he's putting up great numbers. Uh, so to slide along next to him, I think I can help him out and make his job a little easier. Steph Curry is a, a phenomenal basketball player with a very high IQ, really knows how to play the game, shoots the ball at a high level. Um, and then we have a lot of players to, to fit in between that, obviously with the acquisition of Richard Jefferson, who I've played with one season in Milwaukee. Um, right. Darrell Wright, from what I see, he's just you know, a flat-out shooter, can really knock down the three-ball. There's a lot of pieces, Nate Robinson, with his energy. Um, you know, I really like the way we're going. Obviously, we're, we're short-handed at the moment. Come and um, come into the, ne- the next couple of games, but I think it's an exciting time. You know, I've uh, seen you play many, many times, of course, and I see you being very competitive, and yet you play within yourself. Um, and it's interesting because when you were 15, playing in Australia, you were cut from the uh, Victoria Junior uh, State Team. Correct. Yes. And then, yet over the next couple of years, playing with the uh, Australian Institute of Sport, you got better and better, and finally in 03, you guys won the Junior World Championship, and you were MVP and put up incredible numbers. Um, When you were cut, did that motivate you to become a better player? Some players, some people might quit at that point, but does that tell me something about who you are as an individual and your competitive desire? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that's a turning point in my career. I think maybe if I wasn't cut at that point in my career, I might not be here talking to you right now. I might not be in the NBA. I think that lit a fire under me and it was a snowball effect because I just, I had a chip on my shoulder as a young man and sometimes people perceive it as a bad attitude, but I just wanted to literally destroy everybody on the basketball court in Australia that I faced and try to get to the NBA and it got better and better and then obviously went to an Olympics and then went back to college for Utah and then, you know, got drafted number one. So, it's definitely um, a, a stepping stepping stone and turning point in my bas- young basketball career. Yeah, in fact, you got you got so good. Yeah, 15 to 18, you go to college. You come in as a freshman, and you're very, very good. And as a sophomore, you're the National Player of the Year. You win the Wooden Award, the Naismith Award, and become the overall number one pick in the draft. Um, so I, I saw rapid improvement there, and, and it's pretty impressive. I want to get back to a little bit of personal. You're from Croatian descent. Yes. And your parents are from Croatia. Correct. Yep. I was there a couple summers ago in Zagreb. Oh, yeah? Yes. Beautiful and uh, you, you modeled your game after Tony, uh, Tony Kukoc, which is kind of interesting because he played on the perimeter and can yep. handle the ball and stuff. Why is that? Well, when I was younger, I was very similar to Tony. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a growth spurt at about 16, but before that I was playing the 2-3 spot. So I was handling the ball and, okay. and shooting the ball, and, and I learned different you know, phases of basketball, and I think, you know, I think I'm one of the best um, ball handling big men in the league. I mean, I can put the ball on the floor and, and attack that way. Um, I can shoot the ball from, from 10 to 15 feet as well, but Tony was just a guy that had a high IQ, um, 
at about 15 or 16, I was probably skinnier than he was early on in his career. I weighed about you know 180, 200 pounds, and I was a young fellow, and I was 6'9 and very wiry. So I kind of looked up to him, and obviously the Croatian descent, you know, played a big part of it. And, and, and at the time when I was a kid, he was going through that phase of, of being an NBA champion mm-hmm. with the Chicago Bulls. Yes. Um, there's an, another young man who is no longer with us, but I saw his statue outside a gymnasium where I was actually playing in the senior tournament, Drazen, yep. and uh, Drazen Petrovic, and he is revered in Croatia. It's it still burns people today, which is unbelievable. It happened in '93, and people are still talking about it today. It's it's um, the greatest basketball player to ever ever represent Croatia, and ever probably was one of the you know guys that pioneered the European movement to the NBA with Sarunas, who was who was here obviously. And, um, just a phenomenal work ethic, you know, what he accomplished was, was, was unbelievable and it was unfortunately cut short. You still have ties to Australia, obviously, and uh, I don't know where your heart is exactly as far as longevity, whether you live in the United States or Australia when you get through, but during this lockout season, you were contemplating playing for the Sydney Kings and, and then when you couldn't work out the insurance uh, aspect of it, you wanted to coach, and then all of a sudden the lockout, uh, the, the lockout was decided and over with, so you had to come back. But uh, where, where do you see your future? Are you going to go into coaching, and would you go back to Australia to do that? Well, there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, I'm not really looking that far ahead. I want to concentrate on now and basketball and get as much out of myself as I can now. But I actually have a basketball school already set up for young kids in Australia, um, which is a passion of mine, which is at a, at a workout facility that I actually built in my hometown. And, um, obviously, I go to Australia every off-season. I uh-huh. spend a little bit of time in Croatia um, because it's summer there as well. And when I go to Australia, it's winter, so I try to get some sun and go to Croatia. But I have ties to a lot of places, and hopefully this is this, I could definitely see myself having a, having a long-term tie here. When you go to Croatia, you go to Split and uh, Dubrovnik? Yeah, I'm, I'm on an island um, off the coast of Zadar, which is about halfway between Split and Zagreb. Okay. Um, I'm on an island there, which is very, very nice and peaceful and quiet. And I just love the culture and the mentality of people over there. I kind of fit right in. You know, there's a local college here, St. Mary's, and they have a, a connection mm-hmm. to a lot of Australian players, you know, like Patty Mills. Yep. Um, do you, are, are you familiar with any of them? Or are yeah. you friends? I'm good friends with Patty. I've actually just been texting him the last couple of hours. Um, I know Della Vadova, who's obviously Della in, the, in the running for a, for a couple of um, college awards, and, and he's basically the leader of their team. They yep. started in with him, and then there's a couple of other guys, you know, Clint um, Steindl and... Um, a couple of those guys that, are, that I don't know personally, but we have a connection because we're Australian. So um, I know the school was very close to here and um, maybe uh, be living in that area. Who knows? Well, Andrew, I know that Warrior fans are anxious to get you on the court, but first you have to get healthy. But everyone is thrilled that uh, you are now the new center for the Golden State Warriors. Congratulations and, and welcome once again. Thank you. I'm ecstatic to be here. Thank you. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. On the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, we not only try to give you information about the Golden State Warriors and their players and the NBA, we also point out how the Warriors are trying to be a good partner with the Bay Area community. And recently, in cooperation with Lucky Supermarkets and the Network for Healthy California, the Warriors held an event at a lucky supermarket in Oakland, California. Nate Robinson, Brandon Rush, and Chris Wright were on hand, helping educate youth about the importance of a healthy lifestyle. There were stations where the kids learned about the different areas of health and nutrition, and at the end, there was a cooking demonstration. 
This is Nate Robinson with the Golden State Warriors, and we are here at Luck. We are taking these kids around to teach them how to shop healthy and how to eat healthy. Yes, you can. They're all gonna want your autograph. <laughs> now it's a true or false question. Okay. Let's raise your hand um, if you think true kiwis have more vitamin C in them than oranges. One person, what's Nate think? Uh, that's a tough one. That's a hard question, isn't it? The oranges got a lot of vitamin C, so I don't know. Oranges have a lot of vitamin C, and, and vitamin C can protect you from the common cold. But kiwis have twice as much vitamin C. Twice as much vitamin C as an orange. Learn something new every day. Pretty cool. Just got to teach them about exercise, just really having a strong heart and just really letting them know that it's important to exercise and that the things that we do out there on the floor is not, you know, just because we can go out there and do it every day, but it's every day in practice where you're doing push-ups, you're working out, you're running and you're exercising to go out there and um, be able to have a strong heart and have a strong body just so you can go out there and perform. Well, we run, we run a lot. We, that's one of the first things we do when you go in a practice or a game you really have to warm up first so you got to do you got to run sprints you know you might have to stretch you just got to really get your body prepared and get your heart prepared to go out there and go full speed so you do warm-up stuff before you start I love grapes watermelons pineapples watermelon, um, watermelon. cantaloupe I love broccoli broccoli with cheese that's my favorite In our profession, you got to treat your body right and go out there and perform at a high level. And uh, continue the kids start young by doing it, eating right young, it'll better them, uh, you know, when they get older. Once you start eating healthy, I mean, you can grow into you can grow into be a professional athlete or something you can put your time into and be good at. You got to eat healthy. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now to answer your questions. We can do it via Twitter at Warriors Box, Warriors B O X, or you can send an email at the T J R O Y E at GS Warriors.com. We try to answer as many as we can. We start off with our first question. It comes from Yoda, who wants to know about the recent trade, not only Andrew Bogut coming over from Milwaukee, but the addition of Richard Jefferson from San Antonio. Does RJ really want to be with the Golden State Warriors for the next couple of seasons? Well, we asked Richard Jefferson about his reaction to the trade, and here's what he had to say. Some people might not like one situation. Some people might not like another situation. 
you know, it, it depends. You know, I, I'm from the West Coast. I was born here in Los Angeles. So, you know, to get closer to my family and friends from being in um, New York, Milwaukee, you know, how was Jersey viewed when I first got to New Jersey? Jersey was viewed as a bad place to play. You know, nobody wanted to be there. Then we made the playoffs for six straight years, won the division four times, and all of a sudden guys wanted to come play in New Jersey. So it doesn't matter how it's viewed. It's how you take the situation and what you make of it. Great perspective there by Richard Jefferson. It's a great point about the New Jersey. When he arrived at the Nets on a big draft day trade with the Houston Rockets for Eddie Griffin, uh, the Nets were one of the down teams in the NBA. Pretty soon, along with Bay Area treasure Jason Kidd, they were playing in the NBA Finals. Let's move on. Warriors 101 wants to know, do you expect Curry to play again this year, even if he is healthy I don't think he should. Well, head coach Mark Jackson has talked a lot about uh, Steph Curry in recent days, and he wants to be absolutely sure that Curry is 100% before he gets him back on the basketball floor. He steps on somebody's foot, what are you going to do? You know, you never come back 100%. You come back healthy, and you feel like you can go. We, we go through the proper channels. We make sure that he's okay. We watch him, and then we make a collective uh, decision. At the end of the day, I would be more concerned if in the middle of a play by himself he falls down. Then it's a slowest thing down. And that was actually, I didn't see uh, when it happened live, I didn't see him step on anybody. So my first reaction was calling Nate, getting him out. And I would have never went back to him. Uh, but then when I found out he actually stepped on somebody, it makes it easier. And I mean, that can happen to anybody. And I think the point, Warriors 101, is the fact that if Steph is 100% and if all the doctors feel that he cannot further injure that ankle uh, coming back on the floor in April, it would be great to see him back on the floor. But if they're not sure and if there is a chance that he could just re-injure himself again, then I think you want to be totally uh, careful with this. You want to make sure that Steph Curry is good, not just for the end of April, but for years to come because he's one of the pieces that this franchise is going to uh, build around. He's one of the pieces, along with Andrew Bogut, that the Warriors are very excited about for the future. Well, Lamb wants to know about the end of the Lakers game. Why didn't Coach Jackson put Dominic McGuire on Kobe on those last couple of possessions instead of Brandon Rush or Klay Thompson? Well, I think if you go back and look at those shots and you look at what Kobe did, it's a great example of what Mark Jackson was talking about when he was a television commentator, when he was a television commentator for ESPN and ABC, because there are times the NBA has such great players, and Kobe is one of the best of all time, one of the greatest uh, players in the history of the game. But there are times when great offense will beat great defense. If you go back and look at the uh, the tape of those Two shots by Kobe Bryant. Klay Thompson and Brandon Rush were right on him. They had a hand up. They were defending him very well. And I don't think anybody could have stopped Kobe on those two shots. I mean, it's just it was just one of those situations where Kobe Bryant willed those shots into the basket. And you just have to live with that. I mean, it was just there's really nothing else you could do, uh, I think, on the defensive end. For Golden State there, Kobe Bryant hit two big-time buckets, and that's why uh, the Lakers won the game. 
We have a special announcement tonight here on the show concerning our Warriors interviews. You can check out the Warrior cast at warriors.com slash audio, or you can go to the Fan Zone and click on that and look for the Warriors radio tab. It has all the latest Warrior interviews, including local radio show appearances, pre- and post-game interviews, practice interviews, weekly roundtable show archives, and much more. Now, you can also now subscribe to the Warriors podcast on iTunes. That's right. You can go to iTunes and subscribe to the Golden State Warriors podcast or with your favorite pod catcher. Again, on iTunes or with your favorite pod catcher. Go to warriors.com slash audio, click on the iTunes button, or search Golden State Warriors in the iTunes store and subscribe for free. You'll also be getting in the future a number of interviews that I'll be doing, uh, whether it be on the road, at home, or with the latest Golden State Warriors, NBA types, and much, much more. It's a very exciting time here for Warriors Radio and for all the latest Warrior podcast and interactive audio content. Bookmark the Warriors cast page at warriors.com slash audio. Check it out and give us your feedback on that and let us know what type of interviews you would like to see on the Warriors podcast. And tonight, we'll take a look at the battle for the eighth spot in both the Eastern and Western Conference as we continue with the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Turns the corner down the lane, lob to Beasley, two days We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time is running out to enter for a chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime Warriors VIP experience to the Warriors and Nuggets game on Saturday, April 7th. Stop by any participating Bay Area Metro PCS store to enter to win today. For complete details, including contest rules, go to warriors.com. Hi, Tim Roy. The battle for the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference is where we're going to start at tonight here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. It's a battle with some Warrior connections. The Milwaukee Bucks are two and a half games back of the New York Knicks. Now, from the Knicks' perspective, it's been a roller coaster season. Who better to break it down than an old friend of Warriors Radio? And that is the great writer for the New York Times, Howard Beck. So, Howard, I guess the first question would be how does the Amari Stoudemire injury situation, how does that affect the uh, Knicks? chances for the number eight spot in the east well it's certainly you know going to set them back a little bit obviously you know he's one of their you know two best scorers along with carmelo anthony and you know amari's a guy who you know can you know cause a lot of trouble inside and hit that mid-range jumper to open things up as well and you know he's a guy who when he's really active on his best nights can be an effective rebounder and shot blocker too so it's a big loss, but you know the funny thing with this Knicks team all season has been that they sometimes are at their best when they are down a body or two, and especially the most talented uh, players on the roster. You know, it was with no Carmelo and no Amari Stoudemire that the Linsanity streak began, and Amari eventually rejoined them on that. But sometimes, you know, less is more in this league, and sometimes when you just have a you know a, a kind of a clear plan, a clear pecking order, it benefits. And I think we're seeing that right now a little bit. Carmelo has really emerged over the last two games since Amari went down. And, and I don't think that's pure coincidence. Amari and, and Carmelo have had some difficulty thriving at the same time ever since Carmelo arrived here. And it's, it's no one's fault necessarily. Just they, they like to operate in some of the same spaces on the floor. And they both you know need a lot of uh, opportunities. So right now things are a little simplified. Carmelo is comfortable. He's getting a lot of touches. The offense has been kind of pushed more his direction uh, and, and 
you know, they're, they're playing all right. So yeah, the schedule's going to be tough from here through the rest, uh, end of the season, but they look like they might be able to handle this. Two-and-a-half game lead on Milwaukee. You mentioned the schedule is tough, and I think the beginning of April, there's a five-game stretch that could define their season. On the road, at Indiana, at Orlando, a home-and-home with Chicago, and then at Milwaukee on Wednesday, April 11th. If they do well in that five-game stretch, Howard, it would be very hard for the Bucks to catch them. Yeah, I think you're right. This is this is where we you know see exactly what the Knicks uh, are made of and where they're headed because Chicago's a team they've had some trouble with. Indiana they just beat twice at the beginning of, of Mike Woodson's tenure, uh, but you know, that was when people still still weren't sure what they were going to see with with the Knicks um, under Mike Woodson, and I think they kind of you know caught a couple teams by surprise. Uh, Milwaukee, they just beat recently here, but now they got to go back there again, and that's another team that has sometimes given them some trouble. So, yeah, a bunch of road games there, some really tough competition, and, you know, if there was any kind of honeymoon phase here during the Mike Woodson uh, stretch, you we're going to know it soon. You know, is this real, or is this just that surge that teams sometimes have under a new coach? And, you know, obviously with every victory, and certainly blowing out Orlando last night was very convincing, uh, with every victory like that, you certainly think, you know, this is not just some honeymoon period. They're really starting to pull together as a team. And then, of course, they did that last night without Jeremy Lin as well. Now, are the Knicks the only team in the in the NBA that maybe making the uh, playoffs would be anticlimactic with uh, with everything that's gone on this year? You know, it's funny. It, it, it's it's in a lot of ways, you know, reminiscent of what these guys did in 1999. Obviously, a, a different era, a different team, but another lockout season where, you know. Things were just tough during the season. A variety of things go wrong, and you're you're up, you're down. And that team went into the eighth seed and made it all the way to the finals. And I'm not certainly not predicting that's going to happen with this crew, but the the uh, similarities are are kind of uh, striking and interesting. Uh, you know, the, the the compressed schedule has hurt them more than some teams because they really had a completely new group when they started the season, and they had no point guard because they you know Jeremy Lin had not emerged yet. They were still trying to fit Carmelo and Amari together, which they had trouble doing last season. Then they go through a bunch of injuries to Carmelo, to Amari, to Carmelo again. So they just never really got on track. And Carmelo and Mike Antoni were never quite on the same page, which was holding them back. So this may be a case where things fall into place at the right time. Now, granted, Amari's back injury is the exact wrong time, but Carmelo is healthy at the right time. Jeremy Lin, I think, is just a day-to-day thing. He'll be back soon. And Mike Woodson has, has brought a different focus to this team. And they're, they're, you know, they always say you want to be peaking as you're going into the playoffs. These guys might be playing their best basketball as they hit in there, and then it's a question of who do they draw in the first round. Yeah, it's funny because Mike Woodson was a guy who, in Atlanta, they just got better and better and better each year, and maybe they just didn't have enough talent uh, to get to an Eastern Conference final. It just seems like he knows how to handle guys in the NBA and he, he certainly knows how to handle guys in isolation, and that's very good for Carmelo and, and to a certain way, uh, Stoudemire as well. Yeah, both of those guys uh, can, can play well in that form. And I think at this point in Amari's career, he's better off actually with the ball moving and, and in Mike D'Antoni's system because I don't think Amari has the, the explosiveness that he once had uh, to just you know take guys off the dribble, um, beat his man uh, to the basket. He can in, at times, and, and we were seeing a little bit more of that explosiveness again right before the back injury uh, happened. But uh, but for Carmelo, for sure, you know, he's the guy who likes the ball in his hands a lot. He wants to kind of control the pace of things. He he wants to operate in isolation uh, and in post-ups, and that wasn't really Mike D'Antoni's approach, and, you know, that's why there was always a tension with those two ever since Carmelo arrived. So um, Woodson 
certainly favors that style a little bit more. He doesn't like to talk about that as as his, you know, because in Atlanta he really got thumped for it. You know, in the playoffs their offense would bog down, and he was he was criticized for being so heavily reliant on on Joe Johnson and Josh Smith, um, and, and and for relying too much on isolation play. So he doesn't really like to promote that that part of his his reputation or his playbook, but. Clearly, what they're doing right now is a blend of what they were already doing under Mike D'Antoni and with a lot of, of Woodson's favorite plays kind of mixed in in, in the half-court sets. So, and it's working so far. You can't argue with the results, and they're playing harder, uh, more committed to defense right now. Um, you know, this, this team, as I say, you know, the talent we knew was there. It was a question of whether or not they could you know, get on the same page in time. Our thanks to Howard. Back starting play tonight. The New York Knicks were 26-25. and 25. Milwaukee, two back in the loss column. They're 23 and the 27. And by the way, New York is a game and a half back of Boston and Philadelphia for the Atlantic Division lead. So if the Knicks get red hot, they might be able to catch one or the other of those two and maybe even go into the top four. That's how tight it is in the Eastern Conference. Now let's go over to the Western Conference where Utah, Houston, and Denver all tied at 27 and 24 starting play tonight. The Jazz are 19 and 6 at home, but 8 and 18 on the road. Utah 19 and 7 at home. Denver though 15 and 12 at home, but they're dead even on the road, 12 and 12, and they're currently on a road trip. We'll start with the Utah Jazz. The voice of the Jazz is David Locke. And David, it's been sort of an up and down season for the Jazz. They seem to win four in a row and then lose four in a row. How come? I think we're in the we're in the depths of hell. Frankly, um, we're playing six of basketball scheduling hell. Uh, we're playing six games in nine nights in six cities in going West Coast, Mountain, East Coast, Mountain, West Coast time zones. Um, so this one, we're pretty prime for some sort of slip up. At, at this point, but I, I would generally say um, we may have had some losing ways and some winning ways, but I, I actually just think that's what the schedule's given us. They've stolen a few, but for the most part, we've won the games we should have won, and we um, have lost most of the games we probably should have lost, like last night against Boston. So, David, with the three teams tied starting play tonight, uh, what's your take on the race for the eighth spot in the Western Conference? Well, we've got a huge health edge. Knock on wood at this moment on the Rockets, obviously. The Kyle Lowry situation for the Rockets is is significant. Um, and he seems to be the engine that drives them. Uh, Denver's interesting because what, who are they after that trade? And we have an edge on them because Gallinari's out. He, he's terrific. So um, we, we haven't had that knock on wood again, that significant injury. Up until that quadruple overtime game, we were the lowest team in league of players who played 40 minutes in a game. Um, I think we've played the most. There's some number where we've played the most amount of players a certain amount of minutes. The depth on this team, um, that's either coincidental or that's related to why we've been injury relatively injury free. Well, time will tell. Um, but it, it, in those sense, I think um, the Jazz have the edge because they don't have that significant injury at this moment. And then the other area, the Jazz have a really significant home court advantage that the other teams don't have. That can be a positive and negative. The Jazz have the largest differential of any team in the NBA in how they play at home versus the road, but um, they've also had one of the great home court advantages this league has seen, and, and that continues uh, to be the case. 
Well, recently, David, the, the Jazz played a four-overtime game in Atlanta, losing that contest. It was the first quadruple overtime game since 1997. Did that game take a lot out of the Jazz, or was it a factor? Well, we're going to find out. I mean, that's so. I mean, I, Tim, I just mentioned that stretch that we were we were playing, and you know, you understand what it's like to be in these uh, circumstances. So we have that game, and those guys all played fifty plus minutes, and I don't know when it shows up, uh, but I've got to figure at some point we're putting out an awful dog here, uh, just because of that game being in the midst of the scheduling. Uh, that I talked about, and you know, it, it goes both ways. We we started the year at home. We were home for almost the entire month of January. I think we played three or four road games, and 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 that got the team off to a much better start than people expected. Uh, they've now improved greatly from that point in time, and are uh, and now I think are a legitimate playoff team possibility. But it's it will be interesting to see how when that comes back to bite them. There's no question it will at some point, and. Uh, it bit me the next day as an announcer, but I'll see when it bites them. Well, David, Devin Harris has had some good games of late as the starting point guard in Utah, but Jamal Tinsley, who started the year with the L.A. Defenders, has he moved ahead of Earl Watson as the backup point guard? No, the last two games Earl was healthy, and Earl supplanted Tinsley again, and the team kind of fell apart in the second and the fourth quarter against Boston uh, when Watson was on the floor, so now I don't know. Um, the Tyrone Corbin, in his first full year as head coach, has had a really miserably difficult job, which has at the same time probably been his advantage, which is, you know, I think you could probably grab five people and ask them who our best player was. You could probably grab five people and ask them who our 10th best player is, and you get different answers. Um, we don't have one through 13. It's pretty ill-defined. That has made it very difficult Um I think for for Tyrone Corbin to figure out how he's going to do things, or maybe for sometimes for the fan base to not all have different opinions about things. And and right now, where that's showing itself is and who is the backup point guard? Jamal Tinsley and Earl Watson are are very different players, but ability wise and what they you know when you put it all together, probably very similar. He's got to figure out which one's the right call. Earl has not played particularly well in the two games back from his ankle injury. Thanks, David. Always a pleasure to talk with David Locke, the voice of the Utah Jazz. Now Jason Kosmicki, who's the voice of the Denver Nuggets, will join us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Denver tied with Utah and Houston, and a major shakeup, though, for the Nuggets at the deadline. Nene is gone after Denver signed him to a big contract in the offseason. JaVel McGee has come in. So, Jason, uh, give us the uh, Nuggets' take on that deal of big men. I, I always figured one of these guys had to go. Um, at some point, I think we were all surprised that it actually worked out for Denver at the trading deadline. I mean, you're, you're paying Nene $67 million. Do You just signed a Flalo to $45 million. You signed Gallo $49 million. Then you wanted to bring Wilson Chandler in, and that was going to cost you 35 or $40 million. You have uh, Gallinari that just signed for $40-plus million, and you have Ty Lawson coming up next year at $40-some million. So at some point, somebody had to go. You can't keep everybody or else this game would be easy. And um, you know, and then they gave the, the Nuggets the biggest flexibility. I think Denver had seen what they were going to get with Nene, which was basically an unselfish, really good post player at, at you know, 14 points and seven rebounds a game, and, and that's what it was going to be. He's been in the league for 10 years. So by trading him and, and getting rid of his salary, you get to look at a uh, – a question mark is a good word for that. Um, uh, a guy in JaVel McGee where you get to look at him for six weeks and make absolutely sure this is the guy that you want. 
He's an excellent running big man, extremely long, protects the rim. I mean, he's second in the NBA in block shots right now, and he only averages 27 minutes a game. So, um, you know, I think it was uh, obviously a, a business move on the front end that will hopefully pay off for Denver down the road. Let's be honest. He, he, he's he's got to get more mature. I mean, you can YouTube, you know, JaVale McGee all day long if you want, but um, he's also extremely young. You know, with that trade now, even with Andre Miller, and and Al Harrington on this team, I think the Nuggets are tied with Charlotte as the youngest team in the NBA, and they've got a bunch of guys locked up for years to come. So um, it's kind of a rebuilding year for Denver with nobody actually ever voicing that. <laughs> but that's basically what it is. So um, you know, with with McGee, you get this young talent. I mean, he was he's got better numbers than Nene if you're a stats guy. Basically, I mean, when he came to Denver, he was averaging 11 points. Um, eight and a half rebounds and two and a half block shots per game at only 24 to 27 minutes per game, where Nene was averaging 14 and seven playing over 30 minutes. So if you're a numbers guy, that works out, but obviously everybody's got to fit in. And, you know, right now nobody knows if it's going to work, but, um, you know, we feel it's a step in the right direction, but it's early. Well, Jason, a couple of injuries have hurt the Denver Nuggets. Danilo Gallinari was playing very well for Denver uh, this year. It's the second time he's gone out. Rudy Fernandez with a, a bad back is sidelined. Talk about these injuries and how it has affected the Nuggets this year. Yeah, and that's you know that's just the first two guys. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk complain about injuries to anybody from Golden State. I mean, thank you, you. guys. <laughs> you guys have had them forever. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's part of the game. It feels like Gallinari's basically been out the the entire year. He had a high ankle sprain, which was terrible. Now he's got a broken thumb. Um, hopefully, he'll be back at the beginning part of April. Kufus has been out. You know, we didn't have Nene for most of those games that he was here for. I mean, you can go, you know, you can go right down the list. Mozgov has missed uh, a bunch of games. Rudy Fernandez has done for the year with a lower back. Andre Miller right now is playing with a separated shoulder, which is basically unheard of. So there's been a ton of injuries that mixed with the schedule, that mixed with the rebuilding effort that we've done. I mean, it's been a kind of a crazy year for the Nuggets. Well, one player that has stepped into the void of their injuries is old friend Al Harrington. It seems like, Jason, he's in great shape this year, and George Carl was really singing his praises right around the All-Star game. It's been one of his better years, like, in the last five. You know, I was, I was surprised. You, you, you always, you know, you think you know people, and then, and then they kind of surprise you. I mean, he came into camp probably in better shape than just about anybody. Uh, he had lost a bunch of weight. He got a little heavy last year. He never felt right last year. He played with a lot of nagging injuries. Um, I think he knows, obviously, that you know, even though he's been in the league 15 years, he he still is only what 34 years old because he came out when he was 18. But so he still got time left. But I think he knew that he had to kind of change some ways about him in order to get a few more years out of the NBA. And man, I tell you what, there's been more games than I can remember that he's been Denver's best player. Uh, he's he's won games for the Nuggets this season as the sixth man off the bench. I mean, I, I don't think anybody – everybody was talking amnesty at the beginning of the year when it came to Al Harrington. But right. the, the way he came into the, the season this year, man, he's been terrific. And he's such a good guy to have around, too. He's been, he's been, he's been one of my favorite guys this season. George Carl's always been one of the better coaches, Jason, at juggling personalities. Ty Lawson has really taken a step forward at the point guard position, but but it also puts into play 
Andre Miller's feelings. He wants to be a starter. He always has wanted to be a starter. So with Lawson's arrival, is Andre Miller happy? What's the Denver point guard situation right now? He understands what the situation is here. You know, he's been in the NBA forever, 14th year now, I think is what it is. And um, he didn't. He he felt like he was a, a better starter when he was in Portland. That's when he was making the noise, uh, uh, trying to, when he was backing up Steve Blake. I think he understands that with Ty's youth and his speed and the way that George Carl wants to play, that um, you know it's a no-brainer that Ty's a better fit as a starter. And on top of that, Ty's numbers are way better than they are um, coming off the bench as a starter. So it just all kind of makes sense. And and now you got Mozgov playing with Andre Miller on the second unit with Javale McGee playing. Uh, or starting the games, and, and that'll help up Mozgov as well because Andre Miller is such a terrific lob passer and a great passer regardless that he'll be able to spoon-feed Mozgov a little bit more uh, than Ty Lawson does, and that second unit should be better because of that. I mean, is Andre Miller the long-term guy here in Denver coming off the bench? No, I doubt that, but he's handled it extremely well this season. Some eyebrows were raised in the offseason when Denver signed Aaron Aflalo to that contract, but it seems like he's getting better and better, not just a defender now. You can also rely on him to knock down the jumper. Yeah, you know, and, and he's one of those guys where, like, if you bring your kids to a game, you know, you go, you say, hey, watch number six and the way he approaches the game and, and try and be like him. He's one of those guys. He's, he doesn't, you know, he's not the fastest guy in the league. He's, he's not the best shooter. He's not the greatest defender. Uh, he's not certainly not the best dribbler or passer or any of those things, but he really appreciates the opportunity that's been presented to him. I mean, he's a second-round pick. Denver did a real nice job of developing him, um, working out with assistant coach John Welsh. He signed a big contract, and, 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 you know, and he really wants to be the best all-around basketball player that he can be. He's one of those guys that really works hard and, and takes the game of basketball very seriously. You know, the great Aflalo story is, you know, he gets on the bus after he signed that big contract, and he sits right behind me on the bus. And I'm like, damn, Aaron, you know, 40-some million? That's pretty crazy. He goes, yeah, you know what? He goes, I was thinking about this. Right now, the Nuggets are overpaying me. But by the end of this contract, it'll be a bargain. And that's basically all you need to know about Aaron Aflalo right there. How's George Carl's health right now? You know, it's good. Um, you know, it's, it, it, and I get that question a lot, and I appreciate it. Um, you know, it, coming back from cancer is, is never a hard thing. Um, I don't think he's as surly as he used to be, and I don't think it's as so much as because he's come from cancer, back from cancer. I just think it's, you know, because he's getting up there a little bit in age. And, you know, you're talking about a future Hall of Fame coach that has over a 1,000 wins who basically has seen every single scenario in the game of basketball on more than one occasion. So whenever something comes up with his experience, he already knows how it's going to end. You know, and that's a that's a comforting feeling no matter what occupation you have. If you know the outcome of something while it's going on, you know, that's it makes it a little bit easier to go to work that day. So he's doing great, you know, he gets a little tired and and again, I don't think that's because he's coming back from cancer. I just think because, you know, we're playing a crazy schedule here and and he's a little bit older than the rest of it, but he's he's great to have around, obviously. There was no question the Denver Nuggets led the NBA in players playing in China. As uh, J.R. Smith was over there, Kenyon Martin was over there, they're now on different teams, but uh, Wilson Chandler, uh, David Lee's uh, favorite or not-so-favorite player in the NBA, he's back with the Nuggets. 
And, you know, and, and again, you, you don't get Wilson Chandler unless you trade Nene. So, you know, you got to think to yourself, do you want Wilson Chandler and JaVale McGee, or would you want, or just do you want Nene? So, I mean, you know, these decisions become a little bit clearer as time goes on. Um, he's been terrific. You know, he was out a month um, after the China, after his, after his time in China and, and he, uh, uh, they were negotiating. It, it took forever to get the numbers right with Wilson. They finally did. But you know what? This guy is going to be he, – here's a guy that nobody really talks about. I mean, he's a terrific defender. He, he's an excellent block shot guy. And I'm not, so, I'm not sold on the fact that he can't play three positions. I think he can play the two, the three, and the four. So he has, he's extremely versatile. And, and with Gallo going out, you're right. That's a huge factor. If we don't have Wilson – I mean, I don't know what we're doing. I mean, I don't I, I know who you're starting. I mean, right now the Nuggets are starting Wilson Chandler and JaVale McGee. Both these guys weren't even on the team 14 days ago, you know. So it's been that kind of a year. But obviously he's a, he's a big piece and a big thing on what the Nuggets are going to do down the road. And, uh, you know, it's just one more weapon for Denver. Another weapon once they get everybody back, that is. Thanks, Jason. Let's now move on to Houston. We're joining us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Craig Ackerman, the voice of the Houston Rockets. Well, starting play today, a three-way tie at the bottom of the Western Conference uh, standings for the playoffs. Utah, Houston, and Denver, all 27 and 24. And uh, Craig Ackerman's with us from the Rockets Radio Network. And, and uh, boy, what a, it's going to be a great race. What's the Rockets' take on it? Uh, I look at the schedule. You guys are coming up on a, a tough spot here in the start of April. But, but what does yeah. the, the Rockets feel uh, heading into the final month of the season? Uh, I mean, they, they feel like they should be a playoff team. I mean, that's their goal. It's been their goal all along, despite the injuries to Kevin Martin and the illness to uh, Kyle Lowry. Uh, they're missing two of their, their top five rotation players, and um, that's their goal. I mean, that's, that's what they're trying to do uh, every time they take the floor. They hit a real rough patch uh, coming out of the All-Star break. They were playing great basketball going in, and then they lost it and played terrible ball coming out. Uh, they have since uh, sort of righted the ship somewhat, uh, the loss in Dallas the other night notwithstanding. But they believe they're a playoff team, and, and that's what they're going to try to do over the last uh, month of the year. And a four-game stretch right in the middle of April. A home game against Utah, home against Phoenix, and then a home-and-home home at Denver and against Denver. Uh, that could define the season right there. You know, what's funny is that it, it, it absolutely could. What's funny is, though, is we talked about um, – the, the Rockets' most recent homestand, uh, where they had four games at home, which included the Lakers and the Mavericks. And we were talking about on our own show, uh, this homestand could define the season. The Rockets don't do well here. They don't make the playoffs. So they go 3-1. and one. They come back to beat the Lakers and Kings. Uh, they lose in overtime uh, to Dallas. Uh, but overall, successful homestand. They lose on the, on the back end of a back-to-back uh, in Dallas, again, their most recent game. But, yeah, that stretch could define the season. Their two games at home this weekend against Memphis and Indiana could define their season. And then the next four on the road with Chicago and L.A. and Sacramento and Portland, that could define their season. I mean, with the race as tight as it is in the Western Conference, I mean, uh, every game is almost like a, like a March Madness tournament game. I mean, if you lose it, you might, end up lose, you might end up losing ground that you never can recover from the rest of the way. So uh, for all these teams, I mean, all the way from the Clippers on down, all these teams are in that sort of a position, and that's going to be real exciting the rest of the way. Yeah, it's funny, too, because we talk about the tie for 7 and 8, but really Utah and Houston and Denver only a game and a half back of Memphis, two games back of Dallas. So there's a lot more shuffling here than just the 7 and 8 spot. 
Yeah, and Dallas, outside of Phoenix, has the toughest kids remaining in the Western Conference. I mean, they have a, Rockets have a tough sled the rest of the way. But Dallas' schedule is brutal, and they're only two games up in the loss column. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. And, and, and this year, I think, more than any other year, those tiebreakers are going to come, come very handy. I mean, the Rockets, so they got Memphis coming up in their next game uh, Friday night at Toyota Center. They're 0-2 against Memphis. Still have them twice uh, in Houston, including the game on Friday night. They're, they've won 10 in a row at home against the Grizzlies. But you lose one of those games, then Memphis has the tiebreaker. Uh, Dallas has already taken two of the three games played between the two teams. They have that tiebreaker. Uh, Houston and Utah, one and one. Uh, what, Denver and Houston, one and one. So these tiebreakers are going to be really, really, really important as, as we as we finish it up. And, uh, again, it's just like, you know, you, it's a cliche, but all these teams are taking a one game at a time because that one game could ultimately define their season. Yeah, and Utah, I'm looking at their schedule, and, and – it's it's kind of half and half. It's tougher early in April. They go on the road. They uh, home and home with San Antonio. Then down to your place at New Orleans, Memphis. But four of the last five for Utah are at home, and that would scare me if I was one of the teams uh, battling for position in the West. Because if Utah's okay starting that stretch, uh, that that's the most underrated home court advantage I think in the league is is going to Salt Lake City. Oh, it's, it's no question. Rockets have always had their issues there. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll be in good shape going into that, that final stretch. I, 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 you know, it seems with the way that those young guys are playing now, they're probably in good shape as we speak. I mean, uh, you got to give credit to Favors and Cantor and Burks and Hayward. I mean, those guys have stepped up their, their level of play, and that's why they're playing, especially defensively, and that's why they've improved so much uh, as of late. Uh, I think that, I guess at this point, the one team that the Rockets uh, really should be concerned with is probably Denver. I mean, because they, they still have injuries. Fernandez is out. Um, Gallinari is going to come back, but he's out. Um, so that, that might be one group. Um, they're crazy deep, but that might be one group that, that the Rockets really should probably uh, keep an eye on as well. But, um, but yeah, it's just it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's just – and Memphis is a little bit up and down, too. They're still trying to work in Zach Randolph, although I think they're a mortal lock uh, to make the playoffs. But, um, yeah, it's been a bizarre year. The schedule's been crazy. It will continue to be. So the Rockets have – Five more back-to-backs the rest of the season. So uh, a lot of work left to be done. They're sort of playing shorthanded. Uh, news came down today that uh, Kyle Lowry has uh, been medically uh, – he's going to get the catheter removed uh, from him, and, which he was using for his antibiotic treatments, and he'll be cleared to resume practice. Um, as of tomorrow, now it remains to be seen whether or not he's actually going to be able to make it back because he still has to take antibiotic treatments until the first week of April. Um, but if he can somehow work his way back in – even if he gives the Rockets 12 or 15 minutes off the bench, I think that'll be instrumental in, in getting this team uh, into the playoffs. And then uh, you wonder whether or not Kevin Martin will have a chance uh, to get back. That seems a little bit iffier at this point than it was a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the thing with Kyle Lowry could be huge for this team. Oh, no doubt. He was playing so well this year, real, yep. real step forward. And the other guy that's playing very well uh, for the Rockets is Chandler Parsons. Are you surprised uh, at, at just how good he is? Yes. I admit I had no idea who he even was. I mean, he was another one of those second-round picks. Uh, Rockets got him for nothing, you know. Um, by NBA standards, he's making nothing. Um, he came in and uh, was a little bit slow. But I believe he had a, I think it was an ankle or a foot injury or something, which limited him early in what was already a truncated training camp. Uh, Rockets came out of the starting blocks and were just struggling this season, especially defensively. I mean, they were just. 
they were awful defensively, and Kevin McHale decided to make a change as D'Alembert was still trying to work his way back into shape, and those changes were putting him in the starting lineup and Chandler Parsons at the small forward, and the team improved immensely. And now here in the month of March, you know, he's not the best shooter in the world, but offensively he's really improved his game here this month. I mean, he's shooting in the mid-50s. Uh, he's hitting threes. He's actually hitting free throws now. Uh, he was, like, below 30% for a large chunk of the year. Uh, he's upwards near 50% the last time uh, that I looked, which isn't great, but it's a lot better than where he was. But defensively, he's always he's always been there. I mean, he's he's a, he's held Kevin Durant as in check as well as anybody I've ever seen. You're not going to stop Kevin Durant, but you have to make him work, and he makes him work. He did it to Kobe Bryant. He's always matched up against the other team's best scorer on the wing and does an admirable job. He's a high IQ basketball player, and now his offense is falling in line with his great defense, and I think he should be a lock for the Western Conference Rookie of the Month. It always uh, blows my mind that people kind of poo-poo the second round of the draft. You can always find a player. There's always Every, somebody Yeah, no, yeah, no question. I mean, the Rockets, you go back to the early 2000s, they got Tino Mobley in the, uh, in the second round. But there, there are some quality players in that second round, and I imagine they're going to be even more so in this next draft. Thank you for your time, and enjoy the, the month of April. It should be very exciting. Will do. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My thanks to Craig Ackerman, the voice of the Rockets, as well as Jason Kosmicki, the voice of the Denver Nuggets, and David Locke, a friend of Warriors Radio from the Utah Jazz. I, Tim Roy, Warriors and Nets tomorrow night. For ticket information, call one gsw hoop and press option number one. Your chance to watch Darren Williams, one of the best point guards in the NBA, tomorrow night out at Oracle Arena. We'll come back and wrap it up and look ahead to the schedule as we continue here with the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on our flagship station, KMBR 680, the sports leader. I don't believe it. I can't believe You're unbelievable. Unbelievable. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time out for the upcoming games, as always, brought to you by Cass Creek Casino Resort. Tomorrow night, Warriors and Nets 715 on KMBR 680, and that means Darren Williams in the house. Tied at 105. Nets in batting in the front court. Williamson with Farmar Williams, Lopez, and Outlaw. Williams up top. Game in his hands. Four seconds. Bump. Fade. Hit. 21.7 to go. Minnesota uses his final timeout. Williams. And then it's down to Los Angeles for a rematch with the Lakers on the Sunday night. And here's the burning question. Will Andrew Bynum take another three? You'll have to tune in to find out. Warriors and Lakers, 615 the airtime on KMBR, 680. And again, the rematch with the Lakers after that great game out at Oracle on a Tuesday night. And then next Tuesday, the Warriors will find themselves in Memphis where they're hoping that Rudy Gay won't give them the blues. Left corner rebound, though, for Rudy Gay. Five on the shot clock. Drives it in Iguodala. Hangs in the air. Oh, what a move by Rudy Gay, who elevated into the night and threw it down with the right hand. That was amazing right there. Warriors and Grizzlies, 445 the airtime on KMBR 1050 next to Tuesday afternoon. And Wednesday, the Warriors will find themselves in Minneapolis, and that means Kevin Love. And, and nobody, I mean nobody, is having a better spring than Kevin Love. Love holding against D.J. White, one-on-one. Already 32 points. Spins around White to the baseline and lays it in off the window for two. Kevin Love with 34 points to go along with his 15 rebounds. 76-71. Just a matchup nightmare 
for Paul Silas's Bobcats tonight. Warriors and Wolves, 445 the airtime on KMBR 1050. Wrap up the road trip Friday in Utah, 545 on KMBR 1050. Then back home on Saturday, April 7th, to take out the Denver Nuggets. For ticket information for New Jersey and Denver, go online at warriors.com or call one gsw hoop Don't forget, if you want to listen to any or all of this show, you can go to warriors.com slash audio for the latest Warrior interviews, including local radio show appearances, or you can click on the iTunes button and subscribe to the Warriors podcast where you can listen to the Warriors Weekly Roundtable either on iTunes or with your favorite pod catcher. So go to warriors.com slash audio, click on the iTunes button, or search Golden State Warriors in the iTunes store. It's an exciting development here for us on Warriors Radio, and we hope you enjoy it. i Tim Roy for producer R.C. Davis and David Feldhaus at the controls, thanking all of our guests, including Andrew Bogut and Jim Barnett, for handling that interview. I want to thank the voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, the voice of the Denver Nuggets, Jason Kosmicki, and the voice of the Houston Rockets, Craig Ackerman. i Tim Roy, Warriors and Nets tomorrow night, 7.15 your airtime on KMBR 680. And don't forget, as always, you want to keep it right here, right now, because ESPN Radio is on the way. Golden State Warriors basketball. Lee drop step up and over Howard. It's good. For tickets, go to warriors.com or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.